Chapter 7, Part 2 of Memoirs of Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Memoirs of Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds by Charles McKay. Volume 2, Chapter 7 duels and ordeals part two in the time of charles the sixth about the beginning of the fifteenth century a famous duel was ordered by the parliament of paris the sieur de carouge being absent in the holy land his lady was violated by the sieur legris carouge on his return challenged legris to mortal combat for the twofold crime of violation and slander inasmuch as he had denied his guilt by asserting that the lady was a willing party the lady's asseverations of innocence were held to be no evidence by the parliament and the duel was commanded with all the ceremonies on the day appointed says bontome the lady came to witness the spectacle in her chariot but the king made her descend judging her unworthy because she was criminal in his eyes till her innocence was proved and caused her to stand upon a scaffold to await the mercy of god and this judgment by the battle after a short struggle the sieur de carouge overthrew his enemy and made him confess both the rape and the slander he was then taken to the gallows and hanged in the presence of the multitude while the innocence of the lady was proclaimed by the heralds and recognized by her husband the king and all the spectators numerous battles of a similar description constantly took place until the unfortunate issue of one encounter of the kind led the french king henry the second to declare solemnly that he would never again permit any such encounter whether it related to a civil or criminal case or the honor of a gentleman this memorable combat was fought in the year 1547. François de Vivant, Lord of La Châtagnerie, and Guy de Chabot, Lord of Jarnac, had been friends from their early youth, and were noted at the court of Francis I for the gallantry of their bearing and the magnificence of their retinue. Châtagnerie, who knew that his friend's means were not very ample, asked him one day in confidence how it was that he contrived to be so well provided jarnac replied that his father had married a young and beautiful woman who loving the son far better than the sire supplied him with as much money as he desired la chataigneray betrayed the base secret to the dauphin the dauphin to the king the king to his courtiers and the courtiers to all their acquaintance in a short time it reached the ears of the old lord de jarnac who immediately sent for his son and demanded to know in what manner the report had originated and whether he had been vile enough not only to carry on such a connection but to boast of it de jarnac indignantly denied that he had ever said so or given reason to the world to say so and requested his father to accompany him to court and confront him with his accuser 
that he might see the manner in which he would confound him they went accordingly and the younger de jarnac entering a room where the dauphin the chataigneret and several courtiers were present exclaimed aloud quote, that whoever had asserted that he maintained a criminal connection with his mother-in-law was a liar and a coward end quote. every eye was turned to the dauphin and la chataigneret when the latter stood forward and asserted that de jarnac had himself avowed that such was the fact and he would extort from his lips another confession of it a case like this could not be met or rebutted by any legal proof and the royal council ordered that it should be decided by single combat the king however set his face against the duel footnote although francis showed himself in this case an enemy to dueling yet in his own case he had not the same objection every reader of history must remember his answer to the challenge of the emperor charles v the emperor wrote that he had failed in his word and that he would sustain their quarrel single-handed against him francis replied that he lied qu'il en avait menti par la gorge and that he was ready to meet him in single combat whenever and wherever he pleased End footnote. and forbade them both under pain of his high displeasure to proceed any further in the matter but francis died in the following year and the dauphin now henry the second who was himself compromised resolved that the combat should take place the lists were prepared in the courtyard of the chateau of saint-germain-en-laye and the tenth of july fifteen forty seven was appointed for the encounter the cartels of the combatants which are preserved in the memoire de castelneau were as follow cartel of francois de vivant lord of chataigneret sire having learned that guy jabot de jarnac being lately at compagne asserted that whoever had said that he boasted of having criminal intercourse with his mother-in-law was wicked and a wretch i sire with your good will and pleasure do answer that he has wickedly lied and will lie as many times as he denies having said that which i affirm he did say for i repeat that he told me several times and boasted of it that he had slept with his mother-in-law francois de vivant to this cartel de jarnac replied sire with your good will and permission i say that francois de vivant has lied in the imputation which he has cast upon me and of which i spoke to you at compagne i therefore entreat you sire most humbly that you be pleased to grant us a fair field that we may fight this battle to the death Guy Chabot. the preparations were conducted on a scale of the greatest magnificence the king having intimated his intention of being present la chataigneret made sure of the victory and invited the king and a hundred and fifty of the principal personages of the court to sup with him in the evening after the battle in a splendid tent which he had prepared at the extremity of the lists de jarnac was not so confident though perhaps more desperate at noon on the day appointed the combatants met 
and each took the customary oath that he bore no charms or amulets about him or made use of any magic to aid him against his antagonist they then attacked each other sword in hand la chataigneray was a strong robust man and overconfident de jarnac was nimble supple and prepared for the worst the combat lasted for some time doubtful until de jarnac overpowered by the heavy blows of his opponent covered his head with his shield and stooping down endeavored to make amends by his agility for his deficiency of strength in this crouching posture he aimed two blows at the left thigh of la chataigneray who had left it uncovered that the motion of his leg might not be impeded each blow was successful and amid the astonishment of all the spectators and to the great regret of the king la chataigneray rolled over upon the sand he seized his dagger and made a last effort to strike de jarnac but he was unable to support himself and fell powerless into the arms of the assistants the officers now interfered and de jarnac being declared the victor fell down upon his knees uncovered his head and clasping his hands together exclaimed o oh, domine non sum dignus la chataigneray was so mortified by the result of the encounter that he resolutely refused to have his wounds dressed he tore off the bandages which the surgeons applied and expired two days afterwards ever since that time any sly and unforeseen attack has been called by the french a coup de jarnac henry was so grieved at the loss of his favorite that he made the solemn oath already alluded to that he would never again so long as he lived permit a duel some writers have asserted and among others Meseret, that he issued a royal edict forbidding them this has been doubted by others and as there appears no registry of the edict in any of the courts it seems most probable that it was never issued this opinion is strengthened by the fact that two years afterwards the council ordered another duel to be fought with similar forms but with less magnificence on account of the inferior rank of the combatants it is not anywhere stated that henry interfered to prevent it notwithstanding his solemn oath but that on the contrary he encouraged it and appointed the marshal de la marque to see that it was conducted according to the rules of chivalry the disputants were fondin and daguerre two gentlemen of the household who quarrelling in the king's chamber had proceeded from words to blows the council being informed of the matter decreed that it could only be decided in the lists marshal de la marque with the king's permission appointed the city of sedan as the place of combat fondille who was a bad swordsman was anxious to avoid an encounter with daguerre who was one of the most expert men of the age but the council authoritatively commanded that he should fight or be degraded from all his honours daguerre appeared in the field attended by francois de vendome count de chartres while fondille was accompanied by the duke of nevers fondille appears to have been not only an inexpert swordsman but a thorough coward 
one who like cowley might have heaped curses on the man death's factor sure who brought dire swords into this peaceful world on the very first encounter he was thrown from his horse and confessing on the ground all that his victor required of him slunk away ignominiously from the arena one is tempted to look upon the death of henry the second as a judgment upon him for his perjury in the matter of duelling in a grand tournament instituted on the occasion of the marriage of his daughter he broke several lances in encounters with some of the bravest knights of the time ambitious of still further renown he would not rest satisfied until he had also engaged the young count de montgomery he received a wound in the eye from the lance of his antagonist and died from its effects shortly afterwards in the forty-first year of his age in the succeeding reigns of francis the second charles the ninth and henry the third the practice of duelling increased to an alarming extent duels were not rare in the other countries of europe at the same period but in france they were so frequent that historians in speaking of that age designated as l'époque de la fureur de duel the parliament of paris endeavoured as far as in its power lay to discourage the practice by a decree dated the twenty sixth of june fifteen fifty nine it declared all persons who should be present at duels or aiding and abetting in them to be rebels to the king transgressors of the law and disturbers of the public peace when henry the third was assassinated at st cloud in fifteen eighty nine a young gentleman named lille marivaux who had been much beloved by him took his death so much to heart that he resolved not to survive him not thinking suicide an honourable death and wishing as he said to die gloriously in revenging his king and master he publicly expressed his readiness to fight anybody to the death who should assert that henry's assassination was not a great misfortune to the community another youth of a fiery temper and tried courage named marolles took him at his word and the day and place of the combat were forthwith appointed when the hour had come and all were ready marolles turned to his second and asked whether his opponent had a casque or helmet only or whether he wore a salade or headpiece being answered a helmet only he said gaily so much the better for sir my second you shall repute me the wickedest man in all the world if i do not thrust my lance right through the middle of his head and kill him truth to say he did so at the very first onset and the unhappy lille marivaux expired without a groan brantome who relates this story adds that the victor might have done as he pleased with the body cut off the head dragged it out of the camp or exposed it upon an ass but that being a wise and very courteous gentleman he left it to the relatives of the deceased to be honourably buried contenting himself with the glory of his triumph by which he gained no little renown and honour among the ladies of paris henry the fourth on the accession of henry the fourth that monarch determined to set his face against duelling 
but such was the influence of early education and the prejudices of society upon him that he never could find it in his heart to punish a man for this offence he thought it tended to foster a warlike spirit among his people when the chivalrous crequi demanded his permission to fight don philippe de savoie he is reported to have said go and if i were not a king i would be your second it is no wonder that when such was known to be the king's disposition his edicts attracted but small attention a calculation was made by m de lomeny in the year sixteen o seven that since the accession of henry in fifteen eighty nine no less than four thousand french gentlemen had lost their lives in these conflicts which for the eighteen years would have been at the rate of four or five in a week or eighteen per month sully who reports this fact in his memoir does not throw the slightest doubt upon its exactness and adds that it was chiefly owing to the facility and ill-advised good-nature of his royal master that the bad example had so empoisoned the court the city and the whole country this wise minister devoted much of his time and attention to the subject for the rage he says was such as to cause him a thousand pangs and the king also there was hardly a man moving in what was called good society who had not been engaged in a duel either as principal or second and if there were such a man his chief desire was to free himself from the imputation of non-dueling by picking a quarrel with somebody sully constantly wrote letters to the king in which he prayed him to renew the edicts against this barbarous custom to aggravate the punishment against offenders and never in any instance to grant a pardon even to a person who had wounded another in a duel much less to any one who had taken away life he also advised that some sort of tribunal or court of honor should be established to take cognizance of injurious and slanderous language and of all such matters as usually led to duels and that the justice to be administered by this court should be sufficiently prompt and severe to appease the complainant and make the offender repent of his aggression gallery at fontainebleau henry being so warmly pressed by his friend and minister called together an extraordinary council in the gallery of the palace of fontainebleau to take the matter into consideration when all the members were assembled his majesty requested that some person conversant with the subject would make a report to him on the origin progress and different forms of the duel sully complacently remarks that none of the councillors gave the king any great reason to felicitate them on their erudition in fact they all remained silent sully held his peace with the rest but he looked so knowing that the king turned towards him and said great master by your face i conjecture that you know more of this matter than you would have us believe i pray you and indeed i command that you tell us what you think and what you know the coy minister refused as he says out of mere politeness to his more ignorant colleagues but being again pressed by the king he entered into a history of duelling both in ancient and modern times he has not preserved this history in his memoir and as none of the ministers or councillors present 
thought proper to do so the world is deprived of a discourse which was no doubt a learned and remarkable one the result was that a royal edict was issued which sully lost no time in transmitting to the most distant provinces with a distinct notification to all parties concerned that the king was in earnest and would exert the full rigor of the law in punishment of the offenders sully himself does not inform us what were the provisions of the new law but father matthias has been more explicit and from him we learn that the marshals of france were created judges of a court of chivalry for the hearing of all causes wherein the honor of a noble or gentleman was concerned and that such as resorted to duelling should be punished by death and confiscation of property and that the seconds and assistants should lose their rank dignity or offices and be banished from the court of their sovereign but so strong a hold had the education and prejudice of his age upon the mind of the king that though his reason condemned his sympathies approved the duel notwithstanding this threatened severity the number of duels did not diminish and the wise sully had still to lament the prevalence of an evil which menaced society with utter disorganization in the succeeding reign the practice prevailed if possible to a still greater extent until the cardinal de richelieu better able to grapple with it than sully had been made some severe examples in the very highest classes lord herbert the english ambassador at the court of louis the thirteenth repeats in his letters an observation that had been previously made in the reign of henry the fourth that it was rare to find a frenchman moving in good society who had not killed his man in a duel the abbe Millot says of this period that the duel madness made the most terrible ravages men had actually a frenzy for combating caprice and vanity as well as the excitement of passion imposed the necessity of fighting friends were obliged to enter into the quarrels of their friends or be themselves called out for the refusal and revenge became hereditary in many families it was reckoned that in twenty years eight thousand letters of pardon had been issued to persons who had killed others in single combat other writers confirm this statement amelot d'rousset in his memoir says upon this subject that duels were so common in the first years of the reign of louis the thirteenth that the ordinary conversation of persons when they met in the morning was do you know who fought yesterday and after dinner do you know who fought this morning the most infamous duelist at that period was de bouteville it was not at all necessary to quarrel with this assassin to be forced to fight a duel with him when he heard that any one was very brave he would go to him and say people tell me that you are brave you and i must fight together every morning the most notorious bravos and duelists used to assemble at his house to take a breakfast of bread and wine and practice fencing Monsieur de valencay who was afterwards elevated to the rank of a cardinal stood very high in the estimation of de bouteville and his gang hardly a day passed but what he was engaged in some duel or other either as principal or second 
and he once challenged de bouteville himself his best friend because de bouteville had fought a duel without inviting him to become his second this quarrel was only appeased on the promise of de bouteville that in his next encounter he would not fail to avail himself of his services for that purpose he went out the same day and picked a quarrel with the marquis de porte monsieur de valencay according to agreement had the pleasure of serving as his second and of running through the body of monsieur de cavois the second of the marquis de porte a man who had never done him any injury and whom he afterwards acknowledged he had never seen before cardinal richelieu devoted much attention to this lamentable state of public morals and seems to have concurred with his great predecessor sully that nothing but the most rigorous severity could put a stop to the evil the subject indeed was painfully forced upon him by his enemies the marquis de temine to whom richelieu then bishop of luçon had given offence by some representations he had made to mary of medicis determined since he could not challenge an ecclesiastic to challenge his brother an opportunity was soon found temine accosting the marquis de richelieu complained in an insulting tone that the bishop of luçon had broken his faith the marquis resented both the manner and matter of his speech and readily accepted a challenge they met in the rue d'angoulême and the unfortunate richelieu was stabbed to the heart and instantly expired from that moment the bishop became the steady foe of the practice of duelling reason and the impulse of brotherly love alike combined to make him detest it and when his power in france was firmly established he set vigorously about repressing it in his testament politique he has collected his thoughts upon the subject in the chapter entitled des moyens d'arrêter le duel in spite of the edicts that he published the members of the nobility persisted in fighting upon the most trivial and absurd pretenses at last richelieu made a terrible example the infamous de bouteville challenged and fought the marquis de beuvron and although the duel itself was not fatal to either its consequences were fatal to both high as they were richelieu resolved that the law should reach them both and they were both tried found guilty and beheaded thus did society get rid of one of the most bloodthirsty scoundrels that ever polluted it sully in sixteen thirty two two noblemen fought a duel in which they were both killed the officers of justice had notice of the breach of the law and arrived at the scene of combat before the friends of the parties had time to remove the bodies in conformity with the cardinal's severe code upon the subject the bodies were ignominiously stripped and hanged upon a gallows with their heads downwards for several hours within sight of all the people this severity sobered the frenzy of the nation for a time but it was soon forgotten men's minds were too deeply imbued with a false notion of honour to be brought to a right way of thinking by such examples however striking richelieu was unable to persuade them to walk in the right path though he could punish them for choosing the wrong one 
he had with all his acuteness miscalculated the spirit of duelling it was not death that a duelist feared it was shame and the contempt of his fellows as addison remarked more than eighty years afterwards death was not sufficient to deter men who made it their glory to despise it but if every one who fought a duel were to stand in the pillory it would quickly diminish the number of those imaginary men of honour and put an end to so absurd a practice richelieu never thought of this sully says that in his time the germans were also much addicted to duelling there were three places where it was legal to fight witzburg in franconia and uspach and halle in swabia thither of course vast numbers repaired and murdered each other under sanction of the law at an earlier period in germany it was held highly disgraceful to refuse to fight any one who surrendered to his adversary for a simple wound that did not disable him was reputed infamous and could neither cut his beard bear arms mount on horseback or hold any office in the state he who fell in a duel was buried with great pomp and splendor in the year sixteen fifty two just after louis the fourteenth had attained his majority a desperate duel was fought between the dukes de beaufort and de nemours each attended by four gentlemen although brothers-in-law they had long been enemies and their constant dissensions had introduced much disorganization among the troops which they severally commanded each had long sought an opportunity for combat which at last arose on a misunderstanding relative to the places they were to occupy at the council board they fought with pistols and at the first discharge the duke de nemours was shot through the body and almost instantly expired upon this the marquis de villard who seconded nemours challenged Ericourt, the second of the duc de beaufort a man whom he had never before seen and the challenge being accepted they fought even more desperately than their principals this combat being with swords lasted longer than the first and was more exciting to the six remaining gentlemen who stayed to witness it the result was fatal to Ericourt, who fell pierced to the heart by the sword of de villard anything more savage than this can hardly be imagined voltaire says such duels were frequent and the compiler of the dictionnaire d'anecdotes informs us that the number of seconds was not fixed as many as ten or twelve or twenty were not unfrequent and they often fought together after their principles were disabled the highest mark of friendship one man could manifest towards another was to choose him for his second and many gentlemen were so desirous of serving in this capacity that they endeavoured to raise every slight misunderstanding into a quarrel that they might have the pleasure of being engaged in it the count de boussier relates an instance of this in his memoir he says that as he was one evening coming out of the theatre a gentleman named Brouck, whom he had not before known stopped him very politely and drawing him aside asked him if it was true that the count de tiange had called him Brouck a drunkard 
Bussy replied that he really did not know, for he saw the Count very seldom. "'Oh, he is your uncle,' replied Vruc, "'and as I cannot have satisfaction from him, because he lives so far off in the country, I apply to you.' "'I see what you are at,' replied Bussy, "'and since you wish to put me in my uncle's place, I answer that whoever asserted that he called you a drunkard told a lie.' "'My brother said so,' replied Brook, "'and he is a child.' "'Horsewhip him, then, for his falsehood,' returned de Bussy. "'I will not have my brother called a liar,' returned Brook, "'determined to quarrel with him. "'So draw and defend yourself.' "'They both drew their swords in the public street, "'but were separated by the spectators. "'They agreed, however, to fight on a future occasion.' and with all the regular forms of the duello. A few days afterwards, a gentleman whom de Bousset had never before seen, and whom he did not know even by name, called upon him and asked if he might have the privilege of serving as his second. He added that he neither knew him nor Brook except by reputation, but having made up his mind to be second to one of them, he had decided upon accompanying Debussy as the braver man of the two. Debussy thanked him very sincerely for his politeness, but begged to be excused, as he had already engaged four seconds to accompany him, and he was afraid that if he took any more, the affair would become a battle instead of a duel. End of chapter 7, part 3. Recording by Linda Johnson.